Welcome to the Prism Lighthouse Podcast with me, Ali Petrovka. This is your space to explore your spirituality. Let's dive right in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Prism Lighthouse Podcast. Today, I am joined by my therapist and someone who I am excited to have on here to talk about trauma-informed spirituality. Of course, from the title, you can see that we will be talking about trauma. So trigger warning if there's anything. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. I'll add it into the show notes, though. Um, So if there's anything that might feel triggering for you, just being aware of that stopping the episode if you need to at any point, pausing it, taking a break, taking a rest, making sure you're taking care of yourself while you're listening to this. And Cassandra, Cassandra's pronouns are they, them, and they are a Chicanx therapist and clinical social worker in California and a conscious relationship coach residing on occupied Tongva land. Cassandra has been counseling since 2006 in various settings from drug treatment to running a large mental health program serving the homeless and formerly incarcerated populations. They've been in private practice for over a year, serving individuals and couples online all over the world to identify how their childhood trauma is impacting their adult relationships to get clarity and the love they want. They are a sober mom of three, plus one bonus kid, a survivor of childhood emotional abuse, domestic violence, and is remarried after struggling for a decade in their first toxic marriage. Cassandra uses a mind-body-spirit approach in helping their clients and enjoys integrating psychology, neuroscience, and spirituality to help clients transform their lives. So thank you so much for being here, Cassandra. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So excited. Uh, Yes, me too. And I'm so excited to dive into this world of trauma-informed spirituality because I think that's one thing we've learned so much over the last couple of years. And one of them is really being how awful the spiritual online community and in-person community can be and how a lot of people are being re-traumatized or not being seen and not being honored and understood in these spaces. And I think it's something that we really need to bring to the light more so people can understand how that affects others. Absolutely. And I see it happen on an individual level. Um, I'll have clients come to work with me. And this was certainly my own life experience of... (laughs) Decades in personal development, self-healing, meditation courses, reading all the Deepak Chopra books I could get my hands on, um, and still feeling so disassociated, disconnected, um, not embodied, right? And, And using all of that stuff kind of on an individual level. And then there's also the macro kind of level issues in the wellness and spirituality. I know there, there's, you know, a lot of talk about this kind of term that's come out now on spirituality, um, but just on how these bigger macro systemic issues um, uh, around uh, racism, classism, able body, thin, you know, body, like all of these kind of layers 
that um, the wellness industry, which I've been involved with, I remember taking my first yoga class in 2007. And even in the last 14 years, just seeing how it's blown up and gotten so modified um, in ways that are really not ethical and appropriative and harmful. And, you know, I myself am am not going to say that I was always the most aware person about appropriation and these things. Um, But yeah, we need to keep having open-minded attitudes towards learning and unlearning as we grow. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a multitude of different ways that spirituality and the wellness industry aren't honoring people's life experiences. And I just want to say for anyone listening, like this is a huge conversation that is continuously shifting and growing and changing. So listening to this episode, isn't like the work and then you're done and you're like, I'm trauma informed. Bye. (laughs) Like, please keep learning from a multitude of different people um, to speak on something that maybe a person has an experience, but they're teaching how to not, like if someone's teaching cultural appropriation and they're white, it's like, well, maybe listen to someone who's from that culture. And I'm glad you brought up yoga because I taught yoga for eight years. And that's one of the reasons why I left is I just couldn't figure out how to still work in that industry and honor South Asian communities and honor the traditions of yoga. And it's, it's something that's still being taught about and discovered. And it takes a lot of time and effort to really work through all the different ways that trauma informed practices can come into the spiritual and the wellness fields. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they are connected, these individual experiences and these macro systemic kind of um, ethical, philosophical, right, like questions in that, um, can we really say that we're trauma informed when we're appropriating? Can we really say we're trauma informed when we're not acknowledging, like you said, people's lived experiences? Um, harms that are happening on these more macro systemic levels. Um, Can we really say we're trauma informed when we're profiting um, and, you know, like hoarding wealth Mm -hmm. and and not redistributing um, that to communities that we are pulling practices from if you're even choosing to do that anymore. Um, So yeah, there's, there's a lot of intersectionality there too. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned the money part of it, because I think that's one thing that still really gets overlooked is that if someone's profiting off of a practice that isn't from their culture or they're not redistributing the wealth back into those communities, like that's a pretty big sign that someone isn't very aware of the history of what they're doing or the way it affects others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or even selling you know, white sage bundles on their Etsy shop and they're not Native American, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are just little clues to kind of tell you, um, even though this person may even say they're trauma-informed, if they are not addressing these, like, ethical, systemic issues, um, who are they trauma-informed for? 
Mm-hmm. You know, is it just for people that look like them? Is it just for cis, hetero, thin, straight, white folks? You know, um, yeah. So, so a lot to consider, and we have to become more discerning as consumers and who are following on social media, who we are looking towards as spiritual teachers, or you know, even therapists or coaches you might be following. Um, in that is this really a trauma-informed, safe, anti-oppressive person? Like it's all of these things, right? Yeah. Do you suggest that people are upfront about what they mean when they say that they're trauma-informed? Like saying, I'm trauma-informed in these spaces? I love that. Um, I think as clear and transparent we can be about our kind of um, area of practice or, or sphere of comp- competence or, or training, um, the better, right? Because we mm-hmm. want to always, if you are a, another practitioner or provider, be letting people know um, exactly like who you are, what you do, your training, your skills, your experience. And Lived experience is absolutely very, very valid too. Um, so I want to name that. Um, but yeah, the more clear and transparent we can be to help people be informed consumers and decision makers, the better. Because mm-hmm. I feel like trauma informed is kind of becoming what safe space became, where people just kind of use that as like a, a band aid to cover everything. And it's like, well, just because you took a course in um, gender doesn't mean that you're now qualified to create, quote unquote, safe space for someone who's experienced sexual assault. Like those are two completely different things. You mm-hmm. can't know about one just because you mm-hmm. took a program on the other. Absolutely. And so I, I have somebody who just shared with me recently, they took like a, they went into like a trauma informed group. Um, around uh, like polyamorous and kinky and disabled relationships. And that's very like niche and specific, right? But then somebody made a, like a general kind of racist comment about this person's East Asian race. And everyone just kind of was like, oh yeah, like that stereotype is true. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, And then this person had to kind of step up and say, hey, like, that's generalizing, that's not okay, right? So yes, there's so many layers here and it is a lot to navigate and we are gonna do it imperfectly as practitioners. Um, So we really have to start with, to me, like a core of being trauma-informed is being like an ethical practitioner and being really clear again and what is your training skills and experience? What's your scope of practice? and what is not and communicating that in your marketing and your messaging etc mm-hmm. um and if you're a consumer looking at that very very carefully um because we there there comes that spiritual element of like humility mm-hmm. right? and knowing knowing what you know and and what you don't know um and being okay to say like hey i know i would really love to help you with that that's just not my, my strength, my expertise. Here's some referrals, you know, and 
trusting when you acted integrity in this way, like the, the right opportunity, the right clients, whatever that are in alignment with what you can provide will show up. Mm-hmm. I love that you call that humility. And I think that's so important for people and especially business owners to be able to see ourselves and where our own limitations are. And that only ends up making us better guides or teachers or leaders or coaches for the people in our communities as well. Mm -hmm. If we can see ourselves honestly and truly. Absolutely. You know, where of our our quote unquote shadow, you know, Mm -hmm. and where is our area that's still for work and, and to me, part of being trauma informed and ethical is having people in your life that are being honest with you that are giving you feedback. Um, I believe in that saying iron sharpens iron. You know, I have, mm-hmm. I have a group of other entrepreneurs that I meet with and, and I have other people who are other therapists that I talk to, um, because it's, I, I will always have blind spots. We all do. We're always in this work and it's so important to have, um, those mirrors around us mm-hmm. that will like lovingly hold us accountable as well. <laughs> um, to those parts of us that, that we can't see. Um, yeah. In, in humility, I feel like there's, it's not about being humiliated, right? It's about being right-sized, like being humble, you know, um, and, and being humble is also knowing what you're really good at too, (laughs) you know, of like, it's just acknowledging the truth. Um, and I remember when I worked in the mental health clinic, I had a staff who, uh, she was like just very vivacious and outspoken and, um, and funny. And towards the time that I was leaving that clinic, I told her, I said, you're to me like the most humble person that works here. And she's like, what are you talking about? Because, um, she was like, just very confident in all of these things. Right. And maybe like at first glance, you don't think of that word to describe somebody that can just like walk in a room with their head up and like owns their, you know, uh, stuff. But I said, you're always the first person to come to me when you don't understand something or you need help with something, or I've asked you to do something. And it like, I didn't explain it clearly and you need clarification. Um, like, you know, like what you're good at and, and you know what you're not and you need mm-hmm. help with. So we all like could benefit from channeling that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So humble is kind of like knowing your own limitations rather mm-hmm. than being passive, which is what I think a lot of people, when you think of humble, they think of someone small and meek and quiet, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily what humble truly means. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you know there's layers of like if you were raised in um, the Christianity or some other kind of religion um, that made humble seem like you're servile or scraping that that can kind of get distorted. So so that has everything to do with being trauma informed is like knowing your limitations, knowing what you know that none of us can really guarantee safe space you know, um, and, and being real with that as well. Um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And that leads really wonderfully into one of the, I had a a couple specific things that I wanted to talk about and kind of highlight, because I think with these kinds of topics, 
people can get kind of confused about how they show up. So it's nice to have like some specific examples of what non-trauma-informed spirituality is and how it shows up. And this is just one that I've been kind of thinking about and I wanted to hear your take on it. So one thing that I hear, and I've said this for years myself, is saying, you know, just trust your gut or do whatever feels good for you as the advice for how often to practice yoga or how to meditate or what kind of practices or trainings you should go to. But for a person who has grown up experiencing trauma or had parents or partners who were gaslighting them and taught them to question themselves and literally not trust their intuition, that advice of do what just feels good can be very isolating because some people can't name what feels good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes. Um, some people like don't know how to access that, that gut instinct, or it's not even safe for them to really like go into the body. Um, some folks may sense what might feel good, but it's too, scary or not safe to really like grab onto and claim what feels good for them because they've had to put aside um, any of their wants, needs, desires, pleasure for a long time to please others, to survive. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I took some screenshots of your Instagram because your Instagram is so good. I'll take it in the show notes. Everyone has to follow you on Instagram. You just always, you just make it, you're just like, tell it how it is, but in a kind and loving way, but you don't like beat around the bush too much about it, which I personally really connect with. Um, but recently you made a post that said, to our autonomic nervous system, same equals safe and different equals dangerous. And this is kind of like the same idea of, you know, what you've experienced your whole life, even if it's not what you want, or it's not what everyone's telling you should feel good to your body on some level, it feels safe because it's what you've experienced and it's what you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I always say that, that, that part of our, our brain, that's like our, our um, primal brain that it's just in charge. It has one job. It's to keep us alive. Its job is not to make sure we live our best life ever, or we're feeling peaceful and happy or any of that. It's, it's number one job is to keep us alive. So if people pleasing is what kept you quote unquote alive in childhood, then that's, you know, that's the programming, right? Mm-hmm. If, um, again, not um, following your own truth, your own instinct, trusting yourself is what helped you survive your family system growing up, then then that's that programming. Mm-hmm. And so kind of giving um, like these blanket statements of like, just trust yourself or, you know, um, no you know, good vibes only or hashtag no bad days or whatever that, 
you know, love and light, you know, um, somebody called it live, love, laugh culture. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, when we're, when we're in that, um, you know, it, it, we can be consuming that content, saying the things, buying the mugs that say it, like all of the things. Um, but if on some like embodied subconscious or supportable level, um, live, laugh, love is like, mm, that's not safe. That's not what we're used to experiencing. Then that is where we have to like do the work of allowing ourselves in these small, consistent steps, 1% at a time to receive more of that into our life and trying to shame ourselves or pretend like our trauma or our grief or sadness or depression, anxiety, like our, you know, bad relationships, like blah, 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 aren't there, um, isn't gonna, isn't gonna make the change that we're looking for. And then we're just stuck back in that cycle of consumption, mm-hmm. right? Which, like I said, did it for a decade. Like I get it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And for a person who is trying to do the work and you're doing all these things that are supposed to be quote unquote good for you, but you're constantly doing things that don't feel safe in your body because you're going against what you've always done. Mm -hmm. That I I think that needs a lot more self-care in that sense. And rather than like the self-care of like, just take a bubble bath, like the self-care of like, telling my partner what I needed was really fucking hard. So I just need to like go lay in bed for 10 minutes and like recalibrate my nervous system kind of self-care. Yes, 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 absolutely. The, the real tending is, is often not in ways that are easily sellable or (laughs) Instagrammable, right? Right. Yeah. And that's something I've always struggled with, especially when I taught yoga, I was like, filming my yoga practice for Instagram for myself feels very disrespectful to myself and to my practice. Mm -hmm. And I'll always having that conversation in my head. And even now, you know, I'm not going to post my own tarot card reading on Instagram because it's for me. It's not for promotion. It's not for marketing. It's not for anybody else. So finding that line can be interesting. Yes. And I think what's so important is that we all pause and are aware of, am I going to this yoga class where a teacher like isn't trauma informed? So they're touching my body, like without Mm -hmm. my consent to correct me, leaving me more activated or leaving me more disassociated or disconnected from my body when I'm done is me. Um, I don't know, spending money that I don't really have on some like fancy, you know, Tulum retreat um, that is just going to stress me out when I get home with the credit card debt, you know, from, from charging it because somebody told me like making that investment was going to change my life, but I, you know, am not like a wealthy person. So now I've got all this debt and I'm like freaking out how this happened to a client. They invested in a retreat you know, um, with a lot of that kind of sleazy sales, like if you don't invest in yourself, you don't love yourself kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ended up having like a total breakdown and total collapse like afterwards. So, you know, if we're engaging in, in quote unquote healing practices in ways that are 
driving us to disassociate or to override or activating us, you know, in that fight or flight response even more, that's a signal like, okay, maybe like right now, that's not for me. Um, I know for me personally, like breath work, the, the Wim Hof method, I can do it maybe once a month at the most, maybe once every two to three months. It is so activating for me. I'm like crying. I'm in the fetal position. I need to be held afterwards. So I know from my experience with that, I know some people do it like multiple times a week. Like, great. That is great for them and their nervous systems, maybe, or maybe they're an override. And I don't know. Um, so like you said, with the sharing of the tarot practice, or for me, like with doing breath work, like different things work for different nervous systems differently. And the first step going back to kind of what we talked about earlier is just even noticing, like, am I, can I even notice how my body is responding to this? And, and then is it even safe? And then once I've kind of tuned into that, how can I start kind of gauging or doing like a pre-test post-test, you know? of when I engage in certain practices to see what is actually nourishing and helpful for me and where might I be overriding or, or disassociating, but thinking it's self-care. Mm-hmm. That's such a powerful reminder that what works for other people isn't necessarily going to work for you. And that's okay. There's this meme going around on my Instagram. I don't know if you've seen it, but it says basically like, the people your age who didn't experience trauma in childhood have mm-hmm. a head start on you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So don't beat yourself up because you're not at the same place as they are. But it's mm-hmm. that for spiritual practices as well. People mm-hmm. who haven't experienced your life are going to have a different experience with these practices. And I love that you mentioned breath work. And that's one thing I'm really thankful that my yoga teacher training taught us about is that breath work can be extremely activating for some people and it can be dangerous if it's not done in a space with someone who is aware of that and is aware of how to help you through a panic attack you know if that Mm -hmm. is what is going to happen for you because you're practicing something new Mm -hmm. absolutely and yes yes to Again, not comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Um, And just because somebody even looks to be like they are embodying wellness or spirituality. um, The truth is, you know, with social media, like their life could be an absolute hot mess behind the scenes. um, And you wouldn't know it, you know, And, and that was the case again for me back in like the 2000s, um, you know, being on Facebook and having my life look so cute and perfect and spiritual. And here's me at a meditation retreat. And here's me in dancer pose, like on a cliff overlooking a river and like all of that. And then I'm, you know, behind closed doors in my own marriage, just experiencing a lot of emotional abuse. So yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you mentioned a a yoga class where a teacher does hands-on adjustments without asking for consent first. And I've heard of that with, there's a popular male coach out there who I heard, I was reading an account of one of his trainings and a woman stood up and was talking about her experience with sexual assault. 
and he gave her this huge hug. And the person who was writing the article was like, that is potentially very dangerous for that woman to have this giant man grabbing her and re-triggering her. But because there was 3,000 people in this room, did she feel pressured to say yes to him? You know, things like that. That's like consent. (laughs) Yes. 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 So that's another part of being trauma informed is always being aware of the power dynamics in the room, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's, it's gender, it's, you know, coach, student or therapist, client or teacher, student, whatever it might be. um, There's always power dynamics in play. Um, There are, again, this is again, where the macro systemic things power dynamics in play around disability, around um, body size, around race, right? Around, I mean, I can just go on. There's all of these layers and whether or not you want to acknowledge or admit it's there, like it's there and to not be aware of the power dynamics in play. Um, I mean, that's essentially like what abuse is, right? Abuse is like someone getting into a position or being in a position of more power than another person and harming them. And the other person doesn't have agency or feel like they can like, you know, say no or or protect themselves. So that's when abuse happens. So we have to be like very aware of all of those power dynamics that are um, always present and in play. Mm -hmm. I know I have been in situations before where I've been in these group in-person programs and you're doing some journaling practice or whatever, and it's time to share. And I feel an internal pressure to talk about something that I probably would never talk to someone I just met 48 hours ago about. I probably wouldn't even talk to like people that are close to me about, you know, but that atmosphere of this is a safe space. We're all here to help each other. I'm here to heal you or whatever. It kind of puts that pressure that I felt Mm -hmm. onto opening up, but not really knowing what, what kind of care is going to be given to you in return. And I remember this one specific situation where I felt so fucking awkward afterwards because everyone was like, oh, and someone was like, just completely disregarded what I said. They're like, no, no, don't look too much into it. And I'm like, okay, fuck me then. Like, <laughs> never mind. Oh I'm just not going to talk for the rest of the time. Thanks. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, oh it was gosh. awkward. But that idea of like, being at a retreat or something or in a yoga class and feeling like you need, you came here, you paid all this money to have a life altering experience. So sometimes we put ourselves into situations that might not actually be that helpful for us, but we feel pressured to have this awakening or this healing. Yeah, absolutely. And that is again, where trauma informed sets a container, you know, it's, it's being very upfront in the beginning when you're entering uh, a course or a class or a retreat or any kind of space of, you know, these are kind of the guidelines, the expectations, these are ways that you can, you know, you can turn off your zoom video if you need to, you can 
get up and move around and come back. You can share or not share. You can close your eyes or not close your eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, just the, the more folks feel like they have power of choice and consent that the more it like builds that internal sense of agency agency isn't that just like I have choices, but like, also I have, I feel empowered in myself to make those choices and to mm -hmm. exercise choice that like I can pass when I'm called on to share and not feel like shit about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is like the skilled facilitators, um, role is to create that container. Yeah. And I'm just thinking that for someone who's maybe using the term safe space or trauma informed, who hasn't really done the work in themselves. Like if you give people the choice, you have to let them choose. You can't mm -hmm. shame them or belittle them because they made the choice that you wouldn't have made, like keeping your eyes open in Shavasana or something like for some people that can feel very unsafe to have their eyes closed for 10 minutes in a room full of strangers. Like, mm -hmm. So if someone chooses to keep their eyes open, let them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just appreciate you touching on that point of like, um, gosh, and I'm going to screw it up. I really should have like, I'm not going to shit on myself. Um, it was like Gandhi, I think that says like, you know, pretty much like people hear you from the level that you're speaking to them from, like, we can't take for people further than we've been. Mm. And so that goes back to where I see really trauma informed and ethical being so intertwined is that I cannot take people down a road or un to unpack a part of their life that I haven't done my work around, mm -hmm. regardless of how many trainings and certifications and blah, blah, blah that, that we might have, um, that does not replace us having done our own work around our own mother wounds or father wounds or our relationship stuff or money issues, like whatever it might be and knowing when to refer out. I'm very clear that I don't work right now with people who are still in a stage of a process of like divorce and working through co-parenting mm -hmm. because that is my own personal lived experience in the last five years. And it is just getting better. I'm thinking maybe in another year or two, I'll be good to work with folks in that space. But right now people come to me in that space and I'm like, Nope, <laughs> like, let me refer you to this person or this person who would be great, um, to help you right now, because I haven't completely worked through that, that part of my journey. And I will do more harm than good because there would be a lot of opportunity for my own projection my own wounds clouding me, like seeing them objectively and being able to really be present and hold space in, in their experience. Mm -hmm. So if you're a consumer and you're feeling like the person that you're working with or getting guidance from isn't really like hearing you or being in that space with you, um, that's something to consider, you know? And, and for me, I'm like, people come to work with me and they're in the middle of like divorcing a narcissist. And I'm like, yeah, like, mm. Like I'm going to have to refer out no. blended families and co-parenting is a different things. But, but if a woman comes, usually women come to work with me and they're like, I'm in the middle of court and divorce and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let me refer out. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. so, what yeah. a beautiful example of being humble. 
yeah. knowing knowing where your limitations are and then being able to say like here are people who mm-hmm. I trust and I think would be able to help you through this process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and maybe seven years ago, that wouldn't have been an issue. I've been, you know, doing this work for, for over 16 years and different life circumstances bring up certain things at different times. Um, you know, maybe today I could work with somebody whose parent is, I don't know, like dying of cancer, but then in 10 years, like knock on wood, like if one of my parents ended up with cancer, I would feel like, oh, I can't take those kinds of, of, um, clients with those situations. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like you literally just named every single problem that you helped me with (laughs) outing myself, but yeah, my mom had cancer, (laughs) co-parenting, my partner's divorce, all that kind of stuff. It's like, me. (laughs) Like, why am I saying these examples? I feel like I was just like, no, but that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And I don't want to like shit on the coaching industry at all, but I feel like you name something that I see often is that someone takes, you know, a six week course on mother wounds. They're like, Oh, my mother wounds are healed. I can now help other people through theirs. And Mm -hmm. yes, maybe at that moment you do feel healed, but if something comes up again and Mm -hmm. you haven't really done the depth of the work, because I personally think like, it takes more than a couple months, a few months to really work through the deep stuff. Cause I know for myself, mm-hmm. I'll think I'm done with something. And then like three months later, I'm like, Oh, you're here again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I thought I was done mm-hmm. with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So like not like knowing your own limitations and knowing that helping someone through something that you're still working with, or you're maybe only a step or two ahead of them on can end up in projecting your shadow onto that other person and seeing problems that maybe aren't theirs, but they're yours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the line gets really blurry between coaching and therapy, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. So that that's what goes back to like being clear on what's your scope of practice. Um, and that, yes, in, in six weeks, can you have some cathartic moments? Can you get some realizations? Can you learn a lot? Absolutely. Um, but to say I can turn around the next week and start making an offer around this myself, I would say like you may not have really even given yourself time to really integrate all of that stuff, you know? And, um, and then even then remembering like you can't take people further than you've gone. You can try, but you're going to cause harm or it's not going to be effective or you're going to have people that are not wanting to, you know, dropping off and not showing up for sessions because like people are going to sense that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's a great reminder that the line between coaching and therapy, there is a line and it's becoming very hazy. Um, I think it's from people who just don't understand the difference themselves so Mm -hmm. because I know when I took my nutritionist training it was very clear it was like you cannot say that you're healing people you cannot make these claims you know and I think it's kind of the same thing is you just you know even if you took a two-year coaching program 
that's completely different than having like a PhD. (laughs) It's a different scope of practice. And coming back to being humble, that's okay. But I think it's when people feel shameful that they're not a therapist, then Mm -hmm. that shadow of shame kind of goes over everything that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going into coaching or want to become a coach, it's like, no, like that is a really needed and valuable skill set. Being able to ask people questions, to get them to make connections, to help people get unstuck and and moving in a positive direction, like towards their goals, like that's amazing, you know, and there are a lot of people who are at that level, motivated and ready to take action um, towards that next level in their career, in their health, in their relationships, like whatever it might be, right? Like coaching is like looking forward and moving forward Mm -hmm. and, and knowing when a like, Oh, wow. I think this person like needs therapy, uh, because I don't know, um, they have like a substance abuse issue or they're having flashbacks or they are really depressed and not getting up out of bed. Um, that, you know, it's trying to refer out or to even work in partnership. Um, and I love collaborating. I have clients that will see me, They'll have, and they'll have like an EMDR therapist, right? That they see in person to help them on like specific traumatic incidences um, that I don't do on Zoom or kind of in the scope of the work that I provide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And another thing that you posted on Instagram, it was quite a while ago and it was a thing where I was like, I need to have Cassandra on to talk about this because it's so powerful. And I think it was so powerful for me because it's on the topic that I have struggled with for years, which is manifestation. And just, I'm constantly going back and forth between like, is this real? Is this not? Is this ethical? Is what this person is saying actually harmful? Because I end up in a deep pit of shame from like every manifestation coach. Cause I'm like, I didn't manifest $42,000 in three days. Like I'm a loser, you know? (laughs) So the thing you posted is, is it a limiting belief or is it systemic racism? And I was Mm. just like, bam, like Mm. right there. And I think that's, it's something being talked about a lot more now about manifestation. And it's like, can you just manifest a down payment for a house? Or is it the fact that you're working minimum wage and, everything keeps inflating, but your income isn't matching Mm -hmm. the inflation, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So this is where it's like, we have to look at the micro and the macro and being really trauma informed holds space for all of it. Right. Um, Because if we're not identifying all these external um, political factors, environmental factors, socioeconomic factors, the way that, um, you know, uh, things like racism has been codified, like in our banking and lending and, and home buying um, rules and institutions, you can look up things like redlining to find out more about all that um, and, and access to education and all of that, where certain folks like myself, like came into adulthood with like zero, like zero inherited wealth. My parents had a thousand dollars saved for me for college, <laughs> which is cute because that was like one semester of books, you know, and, and that was it, you know, versus like another, one of my dearest longest term friends, um, 
and she's white and her, you know, parents had her whole undergrad paid for plus living expenses and everything. And then when she wanted to go to, to grad school, it was like, I think they like sold their, one of their vacation homes, you know, to cover that and, and just that access to wealth, right. Mm -hmm. They can really make, make literal differences in the stress and the challenges. And this is something I see with, um, like manifestation in the spiritual realm. It's something I see with business coaches. Um, it's something that's frustrated me sometimes in business coaching spaces where, you know, it is different if you have parents that can help you or a partner that can help you, or you don't have kids or, you know, you're able-bodied or not, or, or neurotypical or neurodivergent. Like there's you know, all of, or if you even have a space to shut a door and like build a business, you know, yeah. um, there, there are all these things. And when we don't kind of look at the whole person and that's why I love like my social work training. because it was like looking at the person in the context of the environment mm -hmm. that they're in and all of these intergenerational things too, right? Like an intergenerational health issues, intergenerational trauma, like how that affects our nervous system development. So we have to take into context all of these layers um, and first and foremost, hold space for ourselves for all that, because it can really decrease shame. You know, I remember yeah. when I was in grad school, I already had a two-year-old. Um, I couldn't afford to like live near school. I lived, moved in with my parents for those two years, which is a privilege. And, um, but twice a week, it was a four hour round trip commute. And I would see the other students that were younger, right out of undergrad with no kids live on or near campus, do all these extra, you know, fun things together and all these cool extra like research projects together to kind of get their name out and network. And I had to go home and like feed my two-year-old, right? <laughs> and, and plus we had internship that was like 30 hours a week. So I just kind of hit a bottom at that time of I was like 30 years old and I was like, I cannot keep comparing my insides to these other people's outsides again. And like, have, and I need to let go of the expectation on myself that I'm going to like get the grades that they're getting or do the extra research projects or, or availing myself of the opportunities they're getting. Cause I'm just not in the same situation, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and did I get the same result of like that master's degree from that school? Yes. Um, but was my way that I got there maybe a little bit slower and the road more bumpy and maybe not with like a straight A, you know, report card. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel the same way with business coaches and it's the reason why I really only follow a couple of them is because the lack of honesty of their privileges, you know, like for myself, I don't have biological children. Like my partner has a well-paying job. Like I am inheriting a home, all these things that do make my life easier mm -hmm. and offer me opportunities that another person might have. And that's not shameful for me. It's just it's great the situation that I'm in, you know, and that yeah. I'm able to, to help people in other ways. Mm -hmm. And while you're speaking, I just thought of also recognizing that as the consumer, recognizing that not everybody is speaking for you. Do you know what I mean? Instead of like getting upset mm -hmm. at an influencer because mm -hmm. their life is one way, 
understanding that like your privilege is valid and you can't, they can't speak for everybody. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I know there's one person we both follow, Kaylee Rose Therapy, Kylie. Mm -hmm. She posted mm -hmm. something about that recently about like knowing that not every Instagram therapist can speak for every single person in mm -hmm. a 250 word post. Yes. 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 I love Kaylee, by the way. Um, she's a friend of mine. We're actually going to be doing like a, I don't know if it's going to be indoor with masks or outdoor, like one day workshop in September together. So, uh, yeah, love her. Um, she just moved to LA. So, um, it's back to having that discernment. And that's something that I do try to remind my audience about is like having discernment with who are you following and, um, what are their values? What do they believe in? Um, having discernment and like, this is, um, you know, these are people right at the end of the day with their own privilege, their own experience, their own biases, um, having discernment that, you know, just because somebody got a certain result one way, it may not be the way that you're going to get that result or, or it's going to work for you. Um, so just turning it back into ourselves and looking at how can I reparent through kind of having these like eyes of discernment, right. Where I'm really consider not, not only like looking at the message, but considering the source, right. Like always, always considering the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And taking that, like you said, a responsibility for unfollowing people. Like, <laughs> you just unfollow them. <laughs> so much unfollowing has happened in the last two years, for sure. Yeah. Especially in the last year. Yeah, definitely. So another kind of spiritual space that I've been thinking about for myself, and I would love to hear your take on it, is the term empath. Mm -hmm. And how... Uh, if a, as a child, someone's parents were like highly emotional or unpredictable, and as a child, they learned to anticipate what their parents' emotions would be or their needs would be, is empath a term that is just kind of getting stuck onto that? And underneath is like kind of this people pleasing or this just like highly attuned. Because for myself, I was just thinking like, Sometimes like, and this has been going on for years with different partners, when they come into the room, I'll like get cranky and I'm like, oh, I'm an empath. I'm just picking up on their energy. And then I realized just like yesterday, I was like, maybe it's actually that I feel unseen or I feel like, oh, they just put their dirty plates on the table. They don't care about me. Mm -hmm. That's what's making me cranky <laughs> rather mm -hmm. than me mm -hmm. picking up on their energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of layers to this, but to your last point, it's like, sometimes it's not you. And sometimes like people are just being rude, you know, mm -hmm. or, or forgetful or thought careless or thoughtless or, or they're stressed out. So it's stressing you out. Right. Um, so yeah, let's just, I feel like I've been saying this a lot to clients lately of like, no, that's like legitimately worth getting upset about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not, it's not your anxious attachment style or whatever it might be like getting worked up over this. Um, so yes to that. <laughs> and, 
Um, you know, with the with imp, the empathing, and I mean, I could have gone into this with the manifestation stuff, but there's just there's a lot of layers, which I think is why it is amazing to bring in the spiritual wisdom of things like human design and do you have like that emotional inner authority or not? Because uh, people with emotional inner authority are picking up on emotional and energetic waves wherever they go, even walking into a room, they can feel the energy of the space that was just in that room and versus people who don't have that. So do you have a, you know, a certain um, like moon sign in your astrology uh, chart, or I don't know, my, I have a kid who is a Scorpio rising and they are just like, somebody cries and they have like tears in their eyes, like just seeing someone cry, you know? Um, so there could be some of that too. And, and that's why I think unpacking these like human sign or your astrology chart can kind of just give you these little clues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean like you're an empath. It just means maybe you have certain transits or certain energy centers in your charts that like make you more that way. Right. And then obviously that, that last part, that biological component of having a, a misattuned neuroception because of trauma. Neuroception is our internal spidey sense, right? It's, it's that, um, what we know is, and you've probably heard in some kind of communication, you know, um, class or something at a job that like 80% of communication is like not nonverbal. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means that your body is reading through other people's nonverbals right? What are they really saying? What do they really mean? How are they really feeling? So 80% of data that comes into the body is afferent. So it hits our body first. It goes up the vagus nerve to the brain. The brain is just like this computer with like this algorithm, this program that kind of churns that raw data and like spits out what it thinks that raw data means based off of your education, your past experience, your past trauma, like that, that, that. So what we think a situation means and, but what actually may be our bodies may be sensing could be like very different things, right? Um, so as the more that we get in touch with our bodies safely right, and slowly, and as we're able, that's when we're able to connect that intuition you talked about earlier. So if we have this, this neuroception, this spidey sense, which we all do, but it's like tuned way up, like level 1000, because you grew up in an unsafe home or it's tuned way down because you grew up in an unsafe home. And it doesn't just mean physical violence. It could also just be like inconsistency, right? Um, having a parent that wasn't attuned to you and to your cues of, um, you know, pain or needing aff- affection or connection and experiencing emotional neglect. So if you have this neuroception, that's just not like a radio tuner where it's like static, too much static one way, too much static the other way. You want to find that sweet spot in the middle. And that's where our work is in repairing or healing that, that neuroception so that we can kind of feel and experience and, and attune to others in ways that don't completely flood us or overwhelm us, right? or actually attune to and connect with other people instead of just staying shut in and not connecting at all kind of opposite of an impact, so to speak. Um, I think it's a, it's a great term, you know, Judith Orloff, like is kind of the big person that years ago wrote that book, the impact survival guide that gives like strategies to help with navigating. If you identify with that, 
Um, but there's just all these other label layers and kind of like reasons. And if being an empath feels hard, difficult, overwhelming, if you feel like it's keeping you from functioning and doing things that you would like to be doing in life or impacting your relationship because you're so sensitive, because you're just like such an empath, like then I would say, I would even offer that, like, I don't know if that qualifies as like, you may be empathic, but there's things that you can do about it to mitigate like that, that harm and to have like energetic, psychological, actual relational boundaries in your life. Right. To like Mm -hmm. help support you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my impact rant. <laughs> I love it. And it's such a good reminder that, because I think a lot of people, and I've done this myself too, over identify with their astrology or being an empath or being a generator or whatever mm-hmm. path you're into. And it kind of becomes like, well, I'm a Sagittarius, so that's just the way I am. And there's nothing I can do about it. And remember, or like I'm an empath and I feel so much. It's so overwhelming. I can barely leave my house knowing that there's things we can do to kind of pull us back into that center, more balanced space. And I think generally those are the hard things to do, like setting boundaries, like you said, or having conversations with our loved ones. You know, it's, it's nice to say, oh, I'm a Sagittarius. So that's just who I am. And it's hard to say, oh, well, I leave relationships at the first sign of struggle because I'm scared of getting hurt or whatever it is mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I'm not saying that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 I love it. My husband's a Sagittarius moon and it's like, you know, there's light and shadow aspects to like all of these things and parts too. And like when we're more regulated and centered and grounded, we're like more in those like light parts. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, I love like the spontaneity and the travel and, you know, I mean, I'm like a cancer moon first degree. So I kind of consider myself like a Sag or not cancer Capricorn, uh, like cusp moon. Um, but yeah, there's so many awesome things about that too. Right. And as long as like, he doesn't feel like I'm smothering him, like he's, he's good. He feels good. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, important to know and understand, but also like not let that be an excuse to, um, let other people harm us or harm others. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So I asked in the spiritual social network, if anyone had questions for you and it's not necessarily a question that came up, but it's a situation that happened. And then they just wanted to know if you had anything to share on it. Does that sound good? Sure. Sure. So they said, yesterday I spent time with my family and I witnessed my dad break my four-year-old cousin's confidence. My cousin was singing the alphabet and my dad interrupted her halfway through and she didn't want to sing anymore, even when I offered to sing it with her. What I'm wondering is how to deal with these experiences in a public setting. I understand making people uncomfortable with their actions creates awareness and it's an important aspect of life. But if I brought it up publicly, I could traumatize my dad and potentially my cousin. How can I promote more confidence in my cousin and deal with these experiences without traumatizing myself or anyone else involved? And I think this is a really a question everyone can relate to, like, especially with the older generation of being like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we don't do that anymore, but like not knowing how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So And this is, you know, whether it's family dynamics or somebody's making a racist comment or whatever it might be, right? Like 
there's always these situations where somebody's saying something that could be inappropriate or harmful. And I hear a lot of concern about like, oh, I don't want to harm the person that's harming people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, you know, at, at some point, if you're aware, it's like, well, you got, you're making choices here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost, always going back to what do we feel resourced enough and like kind of capable enough, like some, some days it's like, yeah, I'm going to step in and say something in the moment when I see something. And some days I'm like, I'm so just overwhelmed and, and kind of in shutdown mode today. Um, like if I say something, then I'm just going to be causing more harm to myself, or I'm going to say it in a really mean way or, um, in a way that triggers other people's defenses because I'm not regulated. Mm-hmm. So first, like check yourself before you wreck yourself. Like, um, like just knowing, like, do I have capacity to step in or not? Right. Or do, is it safe for me to, to step in in this space or not? Sometimes it's not a hundred percent safe. Sometimes people are going to give you looks and all of that. And, and knowing that, you know, if you want to be like an ally or an advocate or protect a child, like, it's like putting your discomfort, you know, as, as you're able to, to the side and be like, cause in this moment, it's more important for me to speak on this or to say something in this mm-hmm. moment. Right. So, and this goes back to like resourcing, regulating, like having your own support. Um, cause these situations can come up anytime. So that's where I would always suggest is like first checking in with you. If you're always the one like speaking up and speaking out and like putting yourself out, you know, um, you could end up like ostracizing yourself or burning yourself out. And then you're kind of no good to anybody. So, you know, always making sure like you're tending to yourself and what you can do first and finding your own way. You know, I think when we work through our own, and that's, this is something I would suggest for this person, family of origin stuff, like there might be some stuff there with dad that Mm-hmm. needs to be worked through because there's like this sense of caretaking I'm hearing in the question for dad or concern mm-hmm. like he's not a, a full-grown man that like just can't handle consequences of like his decisions and, and maybe being called out in a loving and direct I always say like direct and kind direct and kind <laughs> when we're communicating um manner um and because when we are still feeling some part of us, like, oh, I don't want to upset people. Oh, I don't want to rock the boat. Like, oh, I don't want to, whatever it might be. That's something inside of us that's looking for healing. that still needs to be healed. If I saw, I don't know, somebody on the street har- harassing, uh, like a, a little old lady, you know, and that, and it seems safe, safe for me to intervene. I might go up and say, Hey, what's going on over here? You know, or, whatever. And I wouldn't for a minute think like, oh my gosh, this this person is going to think I'm a bad person or a bad daughter, or it's not about me. If they're like, if they're like, get away, this has nothing to do with you. Or like, why are you being nosy? I might just be like, all right, just seeing if like, you know, anyone needed help here. Okay. Backing off, you know, but I would not ever for a second go into like shame of like, I'm a bad person. But when it comes to family, it's like all of a sudden there's all these layers in there and it's like, and it's like personal and I take it like I'm a bad person. So that the element of like detaching that healthy detachment that, that we should have with our should quote have with our parents as adults, right? Um, it, it's difficult, but, but it can be done where we can be in a place of neutrality 
of like, hey, like, and maybe intervening in like a funny way or be like, like, hey, like that was a nice, let her finish, you know? But we can intervene and speak up and say things in ways that it's, it's not like bringing up all this stuff inside of us. Mm-hmm. So, so that internal response and reaction and all of these thoughts of like, how am I going to take care of everyone and everything in the situation? That to me is just like the clue of like, there's some family important stuff to, to work through. And, and I think it's beautiful that this person tried as they were able to, to cheer up, you know, their nibbling and, and be there and support them. Um, you know, maybe in the beginning, it's like, I don't feel like I can speak up in the moment, but I could pull the person aside and just let them know, like, Hey, did you notice blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, next time just let them finish. Okay. And, you know, just be casual about it. It doesn't have to be this big old heavy weighted quote unquote traumatic thing. But the fact that we're like projecting that on a situation, it's like, there's some stuff there that needs to be worked through. So I hope I kind of answered that question. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's such a great way to look at it is the example of if you saw something on the street with just two random people, would you put the same kind of shame or expectations or judgments onto yourself as, as an example of, is there, you know, shadow projection, some personal stuff that can be worked on here. And I told this person, I was like, I a hundred percent understand the dad situation and that it can be very, very hard, especially for that, you know, masculine role model that you had your whole life to now be like, oh, they're not perfect. They are human beings. Like that parent conversation is a whole, whole thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I remember when I left my full-time job last year, I didn't tell my parents that I left my, my corporate job and was doing my therapy and coaching full-time for like three or four months because I was so, you know, in that old pattern still around like emotionally caretaking. And I, I didn't think they would get upset. I think like, I thought my dad would lose sleep and like worry and, and all of that. So I was trying to like push him to fall, but it was causing me a lot of angst, you know, handling the situation that way. And my coach reflected back to me, like, what if you can just tell him and it not be a big deal? And like, however he responds or handles it, like that, that he's a grown up and like, that's his responsibility. And I've been working for the last 15 years on like detangling myself from my dad and <laughs> therapy and shamanic healing sessions and all the things of like, you know, cutting that cord. Um, yeah. So sometimes the healing is in taking these actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. You said, you know, therapy and shamanic healing, you know, it's, that, <laughs> it's walking that line. Like we can do both. Mm-hmm. It's when I think the trouble comes in when we say only energetic work, no setting boundaries or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So that's when we kind of get ourselves into a bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me today. Before we go, is there anything that you wanted to say at some point that we kind of like got off on another tangent or that you wanted to any like last thoughts you wanted to share or you can just share with us kind of where people can find you, what you have going on right now, how they can connect with you? Sure. So I just want to really emphasize like Trauma-informed isn't just about learning about the nervous system and how the nervous system works or, 
understanding our, our past wounds are impacting our, our future or under, being able to list off the attachment styles. It is so much about your own embodied work and healing um, and cultivating your capacity to truly be aware and be present um, in that space with others, right? And that does take years. It absolutely, it doesn't mean you have to wait years to do it. Um, but it, it's a, this is like a, a lifetime commitment, you know, to, to your own work as a, if you, if you want to be like a guide or provide the support and hold space for other people. So I just really want to emphasize that because, um, I think that, you know, gets overlooked so much and then we're not giving clients like the real transformation that we want to provide and what they need. Um, but it's cause it's like our stuff getting in the way, you know? So with love, <laughs> I just want to share that, you know, uh, about half my clients I'm working with right now are therapists themselves. Um, mm-hmm. cause I think every therapist needs a therapist or a coach or, you know, somebody that you're working with. I always have somebody, that I'm working with in some either spiritual or therapy capacity that I'm getting guidance and doing some work through. So just want to really encourage folks to, to do that. Um, and currently through the rest of 2021, um, I am accepting new one-on-one clients right now. So you can, um, go to my website, cassandrasolano.com forward slash offers to learn more about that. I also have several free workbooks on there um, on healing attachment wounds, on reclaiming your identity, um, or maybe even getting to know who you are for the first time because of past trauma and learning how to trust yourself after trauma. So those guidebooks are there and free. Um, so I hope you know folks check those out. And, um, yeah, it looks like I'll be doing, like I mentioned, um, maybe a, a live workshop sometime in the fall in LA. Um, and I'll be doing some, some smaller kind of like 90 minute to three hour virtual workshops through the fall and the winter as well. So, um, when you grab one of those, uh, free guides, you get on my uh, newsletter, on my email list, I email about once a week. And that's just the best way to stay in touch with my offers. Um, Because as we know, social media only shows, you know, your content to like 3% of your audience at any given time. So um, if you, whether it's me or somebody else, if there is a a provider, a coach, a content creator that you really love, make sure you follow them on their social medias and like get on their email list. (laughs) That really helps, especially with, um, you know, content providers of color like me or that speak about social justice issues and stuff like our stuff gets hidden by that racist algorithm all the time. Mm -hmm. So support your, your content creators that you love that talk about these topics. And I'll take all of those things you mentioned in the show notes as well. So it's easy. You just have to click on it and it'll open up. And I just want to vouch and say like working with Cassandra is such a powerful experience. The reason Mm -hmm. I chose you is because you're spiritual as well. And I knew I felt safe being able to talk about 
being a Aries moon and you wouldn't be like, bitch, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) You know, you're like right in it. You're like, yeah, let's pull a card, whatever. (laughs) Like you create such a beautiful space for people who are spiritual and want to go to therapy and know that they can show up as them full selves and not have to Mm -hmm. hide parts of who they are. So their therapist doesn't judge them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm here for all of it. Um, for, you know, I, I really try my best as a, a myself as like a queer provider of color to, to be, you know, hold space for all the spirituality, sex positivity, like all the things. So, um, yeah, yeah. And that also comes from like me having done that work and like, reconciling and integrating all those parts of me too you know Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, Yeah. you're such a such a light in the world and I love that you are helping not only people learn about themselves more but also how we can help macro scale how Mm -hmm. we can help others with our own work as well to just make the world a better place and more understanding and safer and more trauma-informed for everybody (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for this conversation amazing questions. Loved having this conversation. I really appreciate you. Allie's really good to connect. Yes, it has been. And for everybody listening, make sure you check out Cassandra's page, follow her, sign up for her email list, and I will see everybody. We'll talk to everybody next week for another episode of the Prism Lighthouse podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the Prism Lighthouse podcast. I am deeply grateful that you have chose to spend your precious time and energy with us here. If you want to keep this conversation going, join us inside the Spiritual Social Network, an online space where you can explore and express your spirituality, be part of a community of like-minded people, attend weekly spiritual events, and make new friends and have more fun. If you're ready to join us, head over to spiritualsocialnetwork.com. It's only $10 a month and your first month is free.